you know, it sounds like cliche, but it's really not. It's great to be here. I love being here. I watch everybody just sort of fill in. This is almost like a, a beach community. You know, a beach community, when they say 10 o'clock, it's like five minutes before, like nobody's here. Right? Then all of a sudden, there they are, and there's the electricity, and you guys seem to like each other. And it's, it's just a good buzz. It's amazing the kind of church family that God's building here. I just, I love it. I love coming here. Um, yeah, I've never had to punish him. Never. I just need to get that out there. Yeah. I can't believe you said that. You're going to pay for that. No. Anyway, um, all right, it's late January, but it's still January. Some of you are still trying to figure out, okay, what are the resolutions I need to make for the rest of the year? Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fashionable to go, oh, these New Year's resolutions, they're for the birds, they don't work, and yada, yada, yada. But the thing is, I don't agree with that. The problem is that we usually know where we need to up our game. Isn't that true? We just know. We know where good enough is not good enough, and we know that no matter how good we are here, there's this thing, and we know. And there's something in our heart that says, I want to go do something about it. And uh, so this desire for New Year's resolutions, I believe, is a good one. But sometimes we don't, we actually don't know how to pull off what our heart wants to experience. Sometimes we just don't know how to do it. We think just enthusiasm, commitment, and will, you know, and many times that doesn't work. Have you ever noticed that? These big decisions and then life happens. Well, Paul, he was an apostle, and he wrote uh, a number of chapters in a best-selling book called The Bible. Um, He oversaw this church, the Corinthian church, and he said, yeah, you're great, you got good gifts, you know, you have awesome worship, you just... Just wonderful people. Jesus died for you. But then he goes, he just spends two chapters going, you're missing it here. You're missing it here. You know, you're allowing sin to grow in your congregation. You're even celebrating it. Um, The way you do communion, oh my gosh, it's sort of elitist. You guys are more concerned about being spiritual than loving. I mean, he just took them to task. He put them through just sort of a, a fine-tooth comb. Why did he do that? To punish them? No. What he did was, he was a father, and he saw the weaknesses. He saw the problems, and a lot of these weaknesses and problems, the Corinthian church was already aware of. They were just used to it. And same old, same old, and God loves me. Well, what, what Paul did is he pointed out their needs, the weaknesses, where they need to up their game. And what's fascinating is if you read through those letters, there's not a a lot of practical advice on, well, how do you fix these things? You know, Paul's not just going, stop doing that. Stop doing that. I mean, he he was pointing out these problems, saying, this is not right, this is weak, this is really bad. And he doesn't say, now here's how to fix it. Well, Paul understood that in order to fix something, you need something foundational in your life. And what he did is he prayed in that foundation near the end of the Second Corinthians. He prayed in a foundational thing that seems like a throwaway line in the Bible. But it's really the source, it's the resource that the Corinthians needed to draw from so they could make the corrections. 
He prays this. And it's not like, it's right at the end of the letter, and he's not going, XOXO Paul. Right? This prayer is not a weenie prayer. This prayer is Paul's fatherly idea of praying in what they need foundationally to start making the adjustments. So, I'm going to go over this and uh, with the idea that what I share, God can use to help equip you get the foundational thing you need to be able to see some of the things that God wants you to raise your game in and know that, hmm, I don't have to do it in my strength. I've got a foundation from which I can draw. That's, that's my heart, to, to share something that you can grab and it'll equip you to raise your game and make 2019 just a time where you go, oh yeah, God did this, God did this, God did this, I did this. Um, make it that kind of year, okay? This is his prayer. After taking him to task, he goes, Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Isn't that interesting? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is a fascinating, fascinating prayer. If I were to go to you and, and, and pray over you and say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be on you, you'd go, oh yeah, I need more grace. Amen. If that's what you do. Or, if I say, may the love of God be with you. You go, oh yes, that's great. I, I need the love of God. But in your, in your brain, you'd be going, that was a Barney prayer. You know, God loves you. I mean, it's just, oh man, what a... Alright, I'll take the love of God. But if I were to go... May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You would go, now that's different. Nobody's ever prayed that over me. Paul knew what he was doing. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit is really foundational. Paul looked at all these things that weren't quite right, and instead of going, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, it stinks being you, what he did is, this is a problem, I'm going to resource you. I'm going to point you to Something, if you draw from that, these things will get fixed. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit actually is the more fundamental of the three. Because actually, the Holy Spirit, he's the one who makes Jesus and all the genuine Christian things, he makes those things real. The Holy Spirit makes it all real. So we won't even experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ unless the Holy Spirit's involved in that. We won't really experience the love of God unless the Holy Spirit just sort of shines that in our life. So Paul is really onto something, but he's really sneaky. He's really sneaky. It's within that context I would like you to encounter this next scripture. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul issues a command. Well, actually it's God through Paul issuing a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are going, there, I knew it. Ah, we're, we're part of one of those churches. You know, when are they going to bring out the snakes and you know, all that sort of stuff? Yeah. And I told my sister one time, I, it was a couple years after she'd gotten saved, um, I got and said, no, I got, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I called her up and I go, hey, guess what? I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And she got real quiet. And she goes, well, does that mean you did backflips down the center aisle and swung from the chandeliers and yelled in tongues? And I go, oh, no, absolutely not. Our, sh- our church didn't have chandeliers. 
But no, it was really interesting. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, people got all these really weird ideas about what it should look like, and, and I understand where a lot of it comes. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Remember, Paul understands that our relationship with the Holy Spirit is actually a resource from which we can draw. And if we can cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit, a lot of the things that we want to see changed will have the power and the courage to change them. So with, with that in mind, he goes, now be filled with the Holy Spirit. Whatever that means to you, know this, this is not an option. This is Jesus who absolutely, he owns the church, and if you're a Christian, he owns you. He's making a command, not in a mean way, not in a religi- religious way, but he goes, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a mandate from Jesus who laid his life down for us, so that should be okay. Some of you are already getting uptight. Would you just relax? Just go, Gee whiz. To be filled, according to here, is not to pursue some experience or behave in a certain way or all these sorts of things. It's a certain position, a certain attitude we adopt toward the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's actually quite simple. To be filled with the Holy Spirit within the context of Ephesians 5 is simply this. It's to choose to be continually and increasingly surrendered to the person and ministries of the Holy Spirit. It's so simple. It is so simple. You know, if I say, be filled with the Holy Spirit, all you got to do is just sort of develop this lifestyle where you just go, Lord, mm, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Or Lord, right now, I choose to, to be surrendered to your Holy Spirit. And you can do it any time. You know, I, I learned this, this lifestyle thing, um, shortly after I had a re- really incredible experience with the Lord. They called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I would start waking up every morning and go, Oh, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I didn't have any visions. You know, I didn't fall down. I didn't see angels. But I started thinking God thoughts before I started thinking about my whole day. It was just an amazing thing where I'd go, Ah, I think I'll read my Bible today. And it's not because I'm all that, but I'm surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And he just makes it easier and he makes it clear what I need to do. It's, you, you won't believe me until you do it. And then when you start doing it, he'll give you my email. You can go, I believe. It, it, it makes a difference when you make this choice on a, on a daily basis, sometimes on an hourly basis. You know when you're having a bad month one day? You know? Or you've got to go into a heavy negotiation? Or, or that problem you have with your spouse. By the way, when you and your, your spouse are having negotiations, what you don't do is go, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> don't do that. Cause it will, and then you'll go, Jesus, hello. Oh, I'm not alive anymore, am I? Anyway, there's something about learning to just choose to depend on the Holy Spirit and then see how he ministers to us or through us. It's an amazing thing. So I want to demystify some of this Holy Spirit stuff and just know that it's simply a lifestyle of choosing to depend on the Holy Spirit and cultivating that kind of relationship where you know he's leading you, guiding you, and where the peace of God is. This is a foundational thing. Not just for the Corinthian church, not just for the Ephesians church, 
but it's a foundational thing for the church. And some of you are going, yeah, but what about Jesus? The Holy Spirit is always pointing toward Jesus. He will never make a big deal about himself. So if, if you want to choose to start developing uh, a spirit-filled life that will produce the results that God wants to produce in and through your life, it'd probably be a good idea to know, so what does the Holy Spirit basically do? I mean, he doesn't just throw us in there and you go, oh, what's it going to be? There are certain ministries that are very clear in the Holy Spirit, uh, in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. Here's the first one. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. It says in uh, John 16, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead us or he will guide you into all truth. What does that mean? Sometimes, have you ever just read the Bible, you're just reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, Scripture just jumps off the page, slaps you silly, metaphorically. I mean, you just go, wow, I never saw that before. It's the Holy Spirit highlighting a truth, like stop whatever you're doing, look at this, pray into it, ask what God you know, is saying to you. But, but leading us into all truth is not just learning propositional truth, learning the Bible, although it's important. You don't know that you are in need of salvation. You don't know that you are in need for forgiveness until the Holy Spirit turns the light on. You won't know. Because there's nothing in us that would want to search for salvation. We look for cures, we look for solutions, but there's nothing in us by ourselves that wants to turn to God. But when the Holy Spirit starts initiating things, many of us in various ways will just go, oh, this is worse than I thought. Even my good stuff is not so good. I need a Savior. That revelation, the Holy Spirit turned the light on. That, and so the need for salvation comes from the Holy Spirit. And then the answer to that need, Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people around here, with a lot, not here, but uh, have a lot of uh, solutions. Well, you got Buddha, you know, you got hug your tree, you got this. Or here's the favorite thing, especially in America. Look at all the religions. Take a little bit of this. I'll take a little bit of Jesus. Take a little New Age. I'll take a little of some of some, you know. And you put it together, and you have your own private, customized, your truth, Jesus, right? But when the Holy Spirit is, re- it, it, is really operating, he shows you your need, and he shows you that Jesus really is the only game in town. He's not just better than all the pretenders. He's the only one. There is no other name given to man by which we can be saved. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can forgive us our sins. He's the only one who can punch our ticket to heaven. He's the only one that can bring us into his family. He's the only one. And we don't get that unless the Holy Spirit is operating. But wait, there's more. You may think, you may not know you have a broken heart, but then the Holy Spirit finally says, you know, you've got a broken heart. This is especially true of guys. Guys say, well, I don't care what anybody says. As soon as you say, I don't care what anybody says, I know you have a broken heart. Because we're not designed by God to not care. We're not. We're designed by God to care about what other people think, what they might uh, feel, what they might do. Actually, that's a sign of wisdom. Go ahead, guys. Tell your wife, I don't care what you think. Yeah, I guarantee that at least metaphorically, if not actually, you'll be sleeping on the couch. (laughs) 
Yes, you will. There is something about... Mm, I've got to pull that one back. We are not called by God to be ruled by what other people think, what they do. But if we build walls, it's our safety, we think, but we're actually miserable. We don't know the walls are there to protect a broken heart until the Holy Spirit goes, you know, you've got a broken heart. We don't know what sin is, really, until the Holy Spirit goes, mm, that's compromise. Now, he doesn't do this and yell at us uh, to make us feel bad, but he points these things out so we can up our game. You know, when, when, when we play in the gray areas, when we just play in the gray areas, and the Holy Spirit goes, mm, you, should, nah, you keep on doing that, you won't be in the gray area for much longer. There's something about... Have you ever told a lie or, or exaggerated? And then this little voice goes, mm, you just lied? You didn't do that. The Holy Spirit goes, mm, no, you didn't cut, catch a, a 3,800-pound tuna. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. That camera was just right up to this little fish. Anyway, we actually don't know if, if our, when, when our sincerely held beliefs are wrong until, A, they come in conflict with God's ideas, and then the Holy Spirit goes, this is your idea, and this is God's. Right? We're supposed to you know, love one another as, as, uh, as Jesus has loved enough. You know, love your neighbor. And many of us will go, oh, well, ah, I get that. But, you know, my neighbor, actually, uh, um, she, goes, you know, she goes to work on a broom. And I really believe this guy is going to be the Antichrist. So surely there's an exception. No, 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 no. But when the Holy Spirit says, no, really, no matter how bad they are, figure out ways to love them. You're not going to think those thoughts until the Holy Spirit shows them to you. Isn't that true? I mean, I mean, that's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. Now, could you imagine just on a daily basis, go, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I'll bet you, little by little by little, you'll, you'll have a better understanding of God's ways compared to our own. Sometimes, sometimes the truth is not, oh, you're doing something wrong. Sometimes... The things we do, the things that happen to us, and sometimes the attacks of the enemy that try to remind us of where we've been, we just go, oh man, I owe points on the righteous scale. I can't believe God loves me. Maybe I'm really not saved, right? And the Holy Spirit will go, yeah, you're a mess, but you're God's mess. Or, hmm, why are you worried about that? Jesus already paid that. Your brain is not going to do that for you, but the Holy Spirit will. He'll remind you how much Jesus loves you, what he's done for you, what he wants to do for you. It's just an amazing thing. Who wouldn't want to be continually and increasingly surrendered to the Holy Spirit? Who wouldn't? The Holy Spirit not only leads us into all truth, he makes Jesus real to us. Here's just a real quick example. Let's say you find out, yeah, I have, a, I have a broken heart. I didn't know, you know, I'm successful. I've learned to manage my stuff. But actually, the reason I'm so successful is I'm driven to prove myself because my dad never said, I got your back. So you got daddy issues, but you're doing good. You're doing good. The Holy Spirit goes, yeah, you did good, but 
you got daddy issues. You're still mad at your dad for not doing this. And, and you, it's a wound, and you've done well to manage it, but you're not healed. If the Holy Spirit shows you that. What are you going to do? You can go, oh. Will the Holy Spirit ever leave you with that, oh, I'm just an orphan on the inside? No. Look at this. It says, the Holy Spirit will bring glory to me, Jesus, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The Holy Spirit makes who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's doing, he makes that real to us. So the Holy Spirit will first show, man, you've got a problem, you've got an issue. Or, you know something, you love your wife, but not in the right way. And that's because you're acting just like your dad, who really didn't treat your mama well. Right? And you just got all this stuff, and then the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, this is a problem. He will never leave you there if you're willing to let him give you the solution. Sometimes our broken heart just needs to be healed by Jesus. It's amazing how many fathers, how many men, how many guys who are doing their very best, right, when they finally let God show them their need and then finally let Holy Spirit come and start touching the area that I wouldn't let anybody see. It's amazing as God starts healing a man's heart, all of a sudden this husbanding thing, it's not a burden, it's a joy. And, and this fathering thing is like, man, I can dip into the love of God my Father, so i got something to give. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit will do, reveal Jesus to us. But wait, there's more. Christianity is not simply about what God can do to us or for us, although that's pretty important. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus real through us. This is so very, very important. We can be pretty religious. We can, you know, do good things and all that. But it's the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us, guides us and gives us power. In Acts chapter 1, this is what Jesus said. When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll give you power to be witnesses. He'll give you power to be demonstrations and expressions of who I really am. You know, just the desire to make Jesus real in other people's lives, it won't do the trick. But the Holy Spirit riding on those things, it's the Spirit of God. Yeah, you, could, you could make brownies and then pray over those brownies. Oh, God, God, the dark chocolate brownies. Those are the ones that you find in heaven. It's true. Anyway, oh, Lord, anoint these things. Holy Spirit, come. There. And you go over to, to your neighbor and go, here are these brownies. Yeah, I just thought about you. You know, you broke your ankle. You know, God bless you. We're praying for you. Here you are. And... And they, they don't understand, not only do these taste really good, but they have this sense like, wow, yeah, that was really loving, and it makes an impact. And look, as much as we would like to think that we're the one who makes the impact, mm, not so much. We're just carriers. Listen, this is going to be disgusting, but I want you guys to remember this example. Let's say I got a guy here, my buddy, and I just start sneezing all over him. And coughing, and just wiping it on him, and just doing that for like a minute. That's disgusting. Is this guy going to get my cold? Only if I have a cold. Only if I got the virus. Then he might get the cold. Otherwise, it's just a lot of awkward activity. Isn't that true? And all you got to do when you want to do something, you're going to hand out water, you're going to share the gospel, just go, mm, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. So I got a little, 
So, so I have a little bit of that sneezer anointing. Right? And don't actually go to someone and go, Jesus really loves you. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Please, don't do that. Or do it in the name of another church. Yeah. If you look at how Jesus ministered, yes, he was God in the flesh, but he depended on the Holy Spirit throughout his whole ministry. If you look at the book of Acts, actually it's not just the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Every time God poured out his Spirit, it was amazing. He started something uh, of the kingdom of God that wasn't there before. You even look at the spiritual gifts. Oh my gosh, the spiritual gifts are not, they're supposed to be normal. It's supposed to be normal. Spiritual gifts are simply supernatural expressions of the will and the character of Jesus. I will say that again. Spiritual gifts, prophecy, healing, and all that, those things are simply supernatural expressions of the the will and the nature of Jesus. We don't have to go, Yea, verily, I'm going to pray over thee. You don't have to do that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. God will give you every so often a word that can really build someone up or encourage them. Or when someone has a headache, you go, oh, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Right? Do that. Just do that. And then pray for them. Because really, your hand and your love is not gonna, it's not gonna heal them, but the Holy Spirit through you. It's amazing that as we're continually and increasingly filled with the Holy Spirit, not only do we grow, but our capacity to impact other people increases. And we don't even have to try that much harder. It's just an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do a number of things. I'm going to go through these briefly. um, Because actually, in your own personal journey, when you start going, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Do it when you're driving. Do it when you're in the shower. Just, Just do it on a regular basis. What God does in you may very be, may be very different than what God does in you. And what God does in you may be very different than what God does in you. And that's okay. God customizes things for his kids. So here's, here's a couple things that you might be ready for when you start getting developing this, this habit, if you will, lifestyle of being filled with the Holy Spirit. First one, you might, you might get a couple wins couple more wins than you used to. There's a measure of experiencing spiritual uh, victory in spiritual battles. You know, we, we, we have two enemies. One is on the outside. We have our culture. We have the world system. We have all these things arrayed against us. We've got MTV. Sorry. Um, no, but there's all the... Uh, really, the, the kingdom of darkness really can't really connect up in any meaningful way with the kingdom of light. So there's all these things that resist us. Even religion, Christless religion, will oppose genuine Christianity. So you got that battle. And then you go, you got the battle inside. Come on now. We all know we got the battle. If everything's fine on the inside, you know, the Holy Spirit goes, ask God, uh, ask your wife to forgive you. Wait a second, she started it. If I actually ask for forgiveness, she'll think she can walk all over me. There it is, the battle, that internal battle, right? Am I the only person who has this problem? I'm just sharing it. Thank you. Thank you. You're my confessional. Anyway, learning how to be victorious in battles has a lot to do with learning 
how to depend on the Holy Spirit. This happened to Jesus. Luke chapter 1. This is what uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And you all know what happened there. God had set it up that the devil was going to try to, uh, to undermine or distract or, or tempt Jesus. And Jesus, he just decided, I'm, I'm just going to fast, I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and be led by the Holy Spirit and see what happens. Every time the enemy came up with a battle, with an attack, Jesus had the solution. He could discern what the nature of the battle was. And then he had the power and the courage to choose the right one. And it was just an amazing thing. And he did it, as an, I think, primarily as an example for us. I've shared this here before, but we've got to keep up being, being reminded of what we are filled with is what is going to lead us. And what we are filled with is what we'll fight with. If you're filled with anger, that's how you'll fight. If you're, if you're, that, that's what will lead you. If you're filled with resentment, or here's one, if you are filled with the woulda, coulda, shoulda, shouldas, and if onlys, that's what will lead you into your future. You'll expect the old things. Now the good thing is, for us, not like Jesus, when we say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit, when we ask the Holy Spirit to come fill us, when we say, Lord, I surrender, what he does is the Holy Spirit starts taking up more ground. It's sort of like a spiritual colon cleanse. I mean, some of us are full of it at times, right? And the Holy Spirit just starts pushing things out. Just, I mean, he just does, which is really good. Some, look, there are times, my kids, I'm going, mm, you are surely punishment for my past sins. I just do that. And I go, oh, I'm full of something. It ain't right. And I'll go, you stay right here. And I'll go in the back room. And they'll, they'll hear me praying. Oh, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I come out with wisdom, a little more patience. I know what to do. I really believe the Holy Spirit. When we're, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it saves lives. Or at least saves the condition of other people's hearts. Being filled with the Holy Spirit increases our batting average in the everyday battles of life. Second thing is, as we're continually and increasingly filled with the Holy Spirit, we will leave our comfort zones. Now, comfort zones are not bad. Because many times, the comfort zones, the places that we're familiar with, where we receive blessing and all that sort of stuff, the places where we go, I can manage this, these places are places that God led us into. So we don't want to disparage those things like, oh, you're just one of them lazy Christians. Uh-uh, that's not what I'm saying. But there are times when God says, you know, it's time to move on. Take a couple steps out of your comfort zone. Get the train out of the station. Do something just a little bit different. And many times the things that God asks us to do are just a little bit outside our comfort zone. I mean, sometimes we're, you're not required to go like this in worship. But let's say the Holy Spirit goes, why don't you lay, raise your hand? You go, oh, do that. Oh, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that'll just sort of get you off my back. And, and then maybe one day worship's good, and you're like this. And you, know, you raise your hand, you go, all right, I'll give you this. <laughs> Got to start somewhere. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Hey, when God poured out his spirit on Pentecost, at Pentecost, these people on, on the roof, they were scared to death. They were like, oh my gosh, Jesus is dead. They're going to kill us. We're going to die. And then God pours out his spirit. Yes, there were miracles. There was, their heads were on fire. They're bellowing in tongues, dancing around and all that. That might be a part of the Holy Spirit. But you know what the big deal was? Everybody in the city goes, what's going on up there? Their, their, their covering was sort of ripped away, and now they were exposed. And it was uncomfortable for them. I'm not saying God's going to do that to you. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you might actually step into things that are not nearly as comfortable as, as where you were before. And that's a good thing. Maybe it's that phone call that you promised you would never say, I'm going to wait for my mom to call me before we reconcile. Maybe it's a, uh, why don't you just call her anyway? But she did. Maybe that's all the Holy Spirit wants you to do, take that step. As we are continually and increasingly filled with the Holy Spirit, we're willing to be led by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Just little by little. The Holy Spirit can actually not just improve us, but transform us. I like Peter. You remember Peter? Peter was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. He had a lot of enthusiasm, really a lot of love for Jesus, a lot of enthusiasm, but not much sense. And he was always doing stupid things. I mean, he even earned a rebuke from Jesus, like, get behind me, Satan. Right? I mean, that's, that's not a good day for Peter. Right? You, I'll defend you, Jesus. I won't let anything happen to you. Get behind me. Mm. So here's Peter, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. God pours out his spirit at Pentecost, and people are going, what's going on? Tongues of fire, they're praying in unknown languages, and they're dancing like fools. What's going on? Who stands up? It would be Peter. And he goes, no, we're not drunk, as you might suppose. I know that if I was there, if I was there, and I saw Peter get up to explain what was going on, I would just turn to the next disciple. I go, this is not going to work. You know, who knows what he's going to do? But here's what's interesting. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he, he was transformed. He had a pretty good message. I mean, so, you know, see all this crazy stuff? This is just one of the really cool ways that God uses to demonstrate that Jesus is everything that he says he is. And, you know, if you don't give your lives to Jesus, it's not going to turn out well. And as a result of that really cool message that the Holy Spirit gave Peter, because he was not a good public speaker, the Holy Spirit also cut the heart, cut, cut into the hearts of over 3,000 people, and the church was started. That was a pretty good day at the office. And it was because Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit transformed him into, a, I think, a rather miraculous vessel. So there's, there's, uh, there's hope for us, right? When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, God many times does not take away our fears of what might happen. But what he wants us to do becomes more important to us than the fears. There were these disciples, they did, these, uh, they did a miracle, and then the religious establishment said, and the political establishment said, don't you do this. Don't you bring this Jesus stuff outside of your meetings. Keep it on the inside. Because if you bring it on the outside, we're going to hurt you. 
And we have a very good track record of hurting people who try to make Jesus real outside of church services. And you know what these guys did? They went back to their prayer group, their, their church prayer group, their church family, and said, they said, let's pray. And they go, oh Lord, please protect us and help us write our congressman. No, they didn't do any of that. Oh no, I know what they did. They said, let's get on Facebook and let's rant. That always advances the kingdom. What they did is said, Lord, would you consider their threats? You're the one who protects us. You consider the threats. As for us, would you give us what we need to do the things that might very well get us in trouble? And what did God do? He poured out his spirit again on these people. Shook the house. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they went out and really just started touching their community in, in incredible ways. When we're continually and increasingly filled with the Holy Spirit, we may have fears, but our fears will rule us less than before. We might even get breakthroughs in our little spiritual lids. Listen, in many, I've, I've shared this so many times, maybe some of you could lip-sync this, but I used to be a philosophy professor. That means I was paid money, not a lot, money to think, think of and talk about really elaborate things that nobody understands. And, uh, and so my mind was the thing that ruled my life. And even when I got saved, it was like I would go through the Bible and go, well, yeah, this is good, this is good, Mm-mm-mm. love my neighbor, I don't think so. And I definitely went, uh-uh-uh, all this charismatic stuff, that was then, it's not for now. My brain did this all on my own, no secondary resources. And then, you know, but I love God, I love the Bible, and after a while... Something had to give, and it was me. And I spent a couple years just absolutely barren, wasteland, backslidden, stupid Christian. And then God restored me by filling me with the Holy Spirit. Right? And it wasn't the charismatic experience. All of a sudden, I, I thought God would kill me and then take me to heaven. I really did. Because I'd done some stupid stuff as a Christian. But he took me back. He filled me. And you know what the first thing he said to my heart where I just go, okay, that was God. He says, the beginning of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, that may not be a thing to you, but it was a thing to me. Because for me, I thought if I would just learn a whole bunch of things, then I could get close to God. And God said, no, 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 let's just turn this around. Why don't you get to know me? And as you know me, then you become smart. Just change my life. This is what happened in Acts, by the way, Acts chapter 8. There were, these, there were these people who lived in a New Age community, and they had New Age ideas and all that, but God sent an evangelist, preached the gospel, a whole bunch of people got saved, and then God sent some other people to come and lay hands on them so that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because, you know, their brains were still trained by the world. When they got filled with the Holy Spirit, it started popping the lid off their worldly thinking. Popping their lid off their religious thinking. And the last one is this. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, continually, increasingly filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not like you're called by God to walk up and down you know, the... Um, walk up and down Walmart, you know, bellering in tongues going, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Don't, don't do that. 
Or if you're going to do that, don't do it in the name of reach. Right? Just don't do that. No. Just do it in your own name. Don't do it in the name of any other church. But there's something about when you're increasing, when you're increasingly surrendered to the Holy Spirit, you actually have more to give supernaturally. We can't, we can't give out what we haven't first received. Isn't that true? Paul, before he became Paul, he was Saul. Saul was a guy, a religious guy, who hated all things Jesus, all things Christian. He just hated them. And he thought he was doing God's will to person bless you. Boy, it's just an e- what an easy way to get a blessing. Bless you. No, Paul is a, a bad guy. He's a religious guy. But he was sincere. He was doing it in God's name. And then God knocked him off his horse. Hopefully you know the, the whole story. Meanwhile, there's a guy named Ananias. Ananias was just a disciple. He was a spirit-filled believer, had a good reputation, and God gave him supernatural wisdom. He goes, there's this guy named Saul, and this is where he's from, and this is where he is right now. I want you to go there, and I want you to um, pray for him, that he would be healed. And here's some prophetic words that you can speak about his destiny. And I want you to go with no promise of success or safety, but I want you to invest in this guy. So he goes, and he, he brother Saul, and he prays for him. He gets, uh, he gets healed. The, the words of destiny and calling are delivered to him. And then Paul got filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't know if he bellered in tongues, or, but he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would God do that right at the very beginning? Because God's calling was so big, no human being could do it in their own strength. So at the very beginning, they say, Paul, here's who I've called you to be. You're going to need some power. And that's, I'm, 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 just, I'm just telling you this, because I love ye. Thee, ye. We can live an okay Christian life, really, without the Holy Spirit. We can. But to actually fully experience God's plan for our lives... It requires the power of the Holy Spirit. It just requires it. How many times, brothers, have we gone, man, I know what a good husband would look like. I just don't have it in me. The truth is, you're right. You don't. But the Holy Spirit in you, hmm, he could probably be the husband through you that your wife needs to be. So there's something about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a decision which over time becomes a lifestyle and you start getting upgraded, which I think is a good thing. So, what's, what's the so what? What's the practical thing? The practical thing is, why don't we start now? You don't have to stand, um, but it's just a choice. This is what Jesus says. And I think Jesus' words are, they have a measure of authority. Like, he knows stuff. He goes, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. If your kids ask for something good, you're not going to give them something bad. How much more will your Father in Heaven freely give the Holy Spirit to those who are perfect? To those who got all their... Or to those who are super spiritual? Or only to those who are pastors? No. No. 
much more will your Father in heaven freely give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I'm encouraging you all to start asking. Ask when you wake up. Ask on the way to work. Just, just make it an ask and then watch the cool little things that God starts doing in your life. Just watch. He'll do it. So, um, I want to pray for us. And you can pray along with me if you'd like. You don't even have to do it out loud. But it's the choice to be filled that God honors. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this awesome church. I thank you for the promise, the, the mandates that you've given this church family. And I thank you for our individual callings, the things that we're experiencing and the things we've yet to experience. I even thank you, Lord, that you're showing us where we're falling short, where we're weak and all, um, not to condemn us, but to put us in a position so that by your Spirit we could raise our game. Lord, I, I ask that you would fill us with your Spirit. We, just, this morning, we would choose this day. Lord, would you just fill me with your Spirit. Lord, this day, right now, I choose to surrender to you and your ministries. I choose to surrender to however you want to minister to me and through me. Lord, I ask that this choice would not be a one-off. I pray this would be something very easy to do that would become a lifestyle for each and every one of us. And may we rejoice in the cool things that the Holy Spirit does. And may there be testimony after testimony after testimony about what the Holy Spirit has done to us, in us, and through us. Amen.